Stephen, Terry, can I ask you to come up here? Terry, okay, Terry first. Okay, good. Well, Steve will introduce himself, but these are dear friends of ours, part of the NCMR team. They come very, from very, 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 very far away, uh, which is Houston, yep. right? <laughs> which is really far anyway. This is Terry, by the way. Steve will be preaching this morning. We look forward to hearing what you have to say, and we want to thank you for blessing us thank with your you. time and just investing in us this whole weekend. Thank you. Thank you, Marco. It's been a pleasure to be here from Thursday night on to uh, this afternoon. And uh, we've been able to meet with some of your leaders and um, Marco and Kat doing a great job with the eldership team. Um, you're in a safe place, that is for sure. And you're going somewhere, that is for sure. They're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and taking you somewhere. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, my husband Steve and I, um, we're in Northern California for 21 years leading a church. And my son and daughter-in-law and daughter and son-in-law moved to Texas 16 or 15 years ago to plant a church in Seabrook, Texas, out part of Houston. And um, so they're doing very, very well. And we've been praying, God, we, we will be where you have us, and we love where we're at in Northern California, leading a church. But as soon as you say it's time to go, we'll go. <laughs> and we went. <laughs> so it'll be two years, April 1st, that we moved to Texas. And we are not looking back. <laughs> we're not longing. We're not looking back. <laughs> But we are going forward, and we love being part of Texas. We love being here. We love that we're fairly close to you, only four hours away. And uh, this, I think, is our third trip here, fourth trip here. And uh, it's a blessing every time. And so I see growth and life every time we, we come here. So uh, it's an absolute privilege. Um, Jesus loves you. <laughs> And like has been said this morning, sometimes we, um, we know we don't deserve it, right? We know we don't deserve his forgiveness and his redemption and uh, his restoration and healing. We, we know who we are, but God doesn't see us that way. He sees us when we receive him, when we believe in him, when we trust in him, when we want to follow him, then he sees us as righteous, he sees the blood of Jesus over us, and he loves us and accepts us and delights in us. Um, and so our response to that can be this. In Psalm 73, 25, it says, Whom have I in heaven but you? In all of the atmosphere, in all of heaven, who do I have but you, God? And there is nothing on earth that I desire more. You are everything. You are my everything. You are all. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And we may be failing, <laughs> but he is the strength of our heart. We can always trust in him. We can always look to him. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And so he is number one and he's the one that we could fix our eyes on even though, even when we're going through the battle, right? The battle belongs to him. We can trust in him. And we all want a portion, right? When you're a little kid and ice cream is being served or cake and you're like, you're waiting for my portion. I want my portion. She got more portion than I did. I want more portion. <laughs> But God says that he is the strength of your heart and your portion forevermore. He is my portion. And so, so we can't say, you know, oh, poor me. Why does good things happen to other people? And, and how come I'm always, you know, struggling? But we can look to him and say, God, you are my everything. In all of heaven, in all of earth, you are my everything. You are the strength of my heart, and you are my portion forever. He is our portion. You can leave here today and say, I have a portion. <laughs> I have Jesus, and he loves me. So we love you, and uh, here's my best friend, Steve. We've been married 49 years. I can't believe it. I do not feel that old. <laughs> 
But here's my best friend and my favorite preacher, and um, we're happy to be here. Thank you, honey. I usually, when I say that, I say we've been happily married 45 years. <laughs> we've been married 49 years. So anyway, it's good to see all of you guys today, uh, to meet so many of you. And I want to just echo what Terry said. There's such life here. Yeah. Um, this is a safe place. I'm going to kind of interweave some of that stuff in while I'm talking this morning. Uh, my name is Steve. I uh, grew up in Santa Barbara, California. I never knew my dad. And um, oh, before I go any further, I want to say hi to Paula in South Africa. And if you're watching right now, it's in the evening there, but welcome to Hope Rock today. And Kat, I'm sorry you're at home not feeling well. I uh, wish you were here too. Um, I never knew my dad, uh, and so my mom, had, I had two older sisters. My mom uh, died when I was five years old, and so us three became wards of the state, and we went around from foster home to foster home. And, uh, you know, some of you have been in horrific situations. This is probably not as bad as a lot of you have been in worse, but it was not good, uh, the foster care system. Some of the homes were okay, and some of them were definitely not okay. And uh, then when I, just before I turned eight, uh, a family, he was a pastor of a little church there in Santa Barbara. Uh, they had five kids of their own. They took uh, me and my two sisters in, and that's my family to this day. And so grateful for a second chance in life. Amen. So not long uh, after, I heard the gospel, and I wanted to receive Jesus and accept Jesus in my heart. And as much as an eight-year-old can understand, I walked down. Uh, the center aisle of that little community church on the first Sunday in December, uh, a long time ago, <laughs> over 60 years ago. Wow. And uh, I've never, ever regretted it ever since. I'm more in love with Jesus today than I ever have been. Amen. He has always been faithful. He's always been there. Uh, I have not always been faithful. There's a lot, of, a lot of seasons in my life where I was not faithful, but he never forsook me. Amen. He's always there. And I want to encourage you today. I got a bonus out of that because my new parents' best friends were Terry's best friends. So we've been seeing each other since she was five and I was uh, eight. And uh, we went on camp, family camping trips together. And, of course, I didn't like her. She was too young. And uh, but my brother liked her, but eventually I went out over my brother and... When we were mature at 13 and 15, we had our first date. And um, a, a date in those days is when the whole youth group goes miniature golfing, and I paid for her. So, so that was our first date. And uh, so she is my best friend. Uh, also, I want to bring uh, greetings from uh, Tyron Danny. You heard him talk at the beginning, and he's the leader of the team that we're on. Uh, we're on this team, NCMI, and... I remember the days when I go, what the heck is NCMI? And so NCMI is this. The, the best way to say it is NCMI is a team. It's not a denomination. It's not an association of churches. There's no contract that you sign. Uh, the NCMI team has zero authority in the local church except what the elders, who are the highest human authority in the local church. Jesus is the head of the church, but the elders are the highest human authority uh, in the local church. Uh, we have no authority except what they invite us to speak. And then anything I say up here is subject to, the, to them coming up and say, uh, no, get the shepherd so I can pull that guy off the stage. So you're in a safe place. You're led by a team of elders who love Jesus. And uh, we're grateful to be on the team. Um, there's about 500 couples around the world uh, that are on this team, ministering into 130 nations, uh, thousands and thousands of churches connecting and it's just so great to go to Equips and hear people from around the world uh, what God is doing in, in other nations. And so Terry and I mostly work in the U.S. and Canada and Australia. And uh, that's kind of our, our field, so to speak. And uh, it's a privilege to be here. It's, it's, it's a privilege to be close to you guys. So um, there's no such thing as an NCMI church. Do you know that? Uh, there are churches that partner with or connect to or relate to the team uh, through the leadership, but the, the church has no authority. You see it in the New Testament. Every single, every single church in the New Testament, uh, Jerusalem, uh, in Judea, Laodicea, uh, Philippi, uh, just in Corinth, everywhere, every single church 
partnered with the translocal apostolic team, what we see in Ephesians 4, uh, Ephesians 4 gifted ministries, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, uh, those kind of giftings, uh, which need to be redefined in a lot of our thinking. So I would say a, a true Ephesians 4 evangelist is not somebody who just has a crusade and gets people saved, but a true uh, Ephesians 4 evangelist, which the purpose of the Ephesians 4 giftings is to equip the saints for the work of service. It's in the verses right after that. And, and that's the purpose. So a true Ephesians 4 evangelist would come into a local church, maybe do some teaching over a weekend and minister. But when they leave, what's the deposit left? Everybody wants to talk to their friends about Jesus. And they have an increased passion for the lost. That's the equipping of the saints for the work of service. And so I would say, if, if I had to, uh, I would say this, Paul said this, to some, I'm an apostle. You know what that means? To some, he wasn't. <laughs> they didn't know him. Uh, so to some, I'm a pastor. And uh, I have a passion for the uh, local church. Uh, and, and that's where my emphasis is, is to build up uh, the local church to equip the saints uh, for a love for the body of Christ and to have strong, healthy local churches, strong, healthy families, that kind of thing. So... Uh, Paul wrote to the uh, Corinthians and said, uh, you guys are really blowing it. He spoke to them harshly. But he didn't say, we're going to take away your charter, we're going to remove your pastor, we're going to sell your building. He didn't say any of that. Here's what he said. I appeal to you. That's all the authority he had. I appeal to you. You know who I am. And so that's the team that we're on. And that's the team that this church connects to and partners with around the world. It's very simple. It's very real. It's not like super spiritual or hyper spiritual. It's a very uh, organic uh, type, type of connection. So uh, I'm going to talk to you today from Philippians chapter 1. And it is, I don't know if we're allowed to, but it's probably my favorite book in the Bible. Uh, I love the rich theology of Romans. I love the sweeping narrative of the Old Testament and the kings and the battles and the miracles and, you know, just all that stuff. I just love those things. But there's something about Philippians that really connects uh, with me. Philippians is about, we often hear that Philippians is about joy, um, but it's also about confidence, joy and confidence rooted in Jesus uh, as we live as citizens of heaven. So we are, it's also a big theme in Philippians that we are citizens of heaven. This is not our home. We have something that we're looking toward. So Philippians, in my estimation, is, is, uh, is about joy and confidence rooted in Jesus uh, as we live out and, and live this thing, uh, knowing that we're citizens of heaven. And so I'm going to focus in on a phrase today. Uh, it's very familiar. I remember my dad preaching about this, and it's, it's this, for to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. We've heard that if you've been around, been a believer. Maybe, maybe you're not. Maybe this is the first time you've ever been in church. And so welcome. Glad you're here today. Maybe you've never received Jesus. You're, I know that you're welcome here. Uh, people that are searching and longing for something that the world doesn't fill. There's this void that, that nothing in the world fills, but only Jesus can. Uh, but this is a, a, a big phrase. I, when I was a kid, I didn't even know what this phrase meant. I go, for, to live as Christ? You know, it's not even a complete sentence. I, I just don't, what does that mean? And so as I get older and older, I know more about it. But um, So I'm going to read through most of chapter one. And I don't have very many points. I only have one big point today. And Paul is a good enough theologian to where he makes a lot of points. So I'll just point out his points, all right? So this one gets me, verse one. I, I used to make fun of guys that would stay in one chapter for two years. You know, I would go like this. If Paul. 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 Like this. I said, How could you preach for two years on one verse? Well, I preached a, a series, 77 Signs of a Healthy Church in Philippians. And so I did stay a, a couple months in verse 1. And um, now I have to make fun of myself. Paul, the first word there, his name used to be Saul. A healthy church has changed lives. Amen. Saul to Paul. So 
That's fruit there. Paul and Timothy, we see team in ministry. We're working together. My main team is Terry and me, and, and we work together as team, and uh, we're one in that. And all through Scripture, it's about team. Uh, Paul and Timothy, servants, servant-heartedness. We all have a gift. We use that gift to serve others so that God gets the glory. Uh, servants of Jesus, it's always about Jesus. To all the saints, that's all the saints. I love how he addressed the saints first. The saints are not people that died 200 years ago that had three miracles happen to them. Everybody who is a believer in Christ and has submitted their life to him are the, are the saints. Amen. And so that's who we are. And, and um, we are being equipped to serve him. So I, anyway, I, I could get... Oh, wait a minute. To the overseers and deacons. Overseers is the same word for elder. It's the same word for pastor. Elders, overseers, pastors. So I wonder if the elders and their wives would just stand up just for a second. Kat's not here, but this is the, uh, the senior leadership team of the church. The guys are the elders, but the wives together with them, they elder together. That's just because they're a team. Um, but the government is, is on the guy's shoulders, and every church in the New Testament is led by a team of elders. I wonder if the deacons and their wives uh, are, are together here. Would you guys just stand up? So just look around. This is the leadership team of the church. And God has called them to such a time as this for, to serve in such a place as this. This doesn't mean they're more spiritual than you. Amen. Because God has called many of you into business, into education, into medicine, into the arts. And the most holy place you can be is where God called you. Amen. So they're serving Jesus right now in this capacity. Thanks, you guys. And uh, appreciate you. Yes. So now we've been here four times and every time we see a snapshot of this church doing this, Amen. growing. So to the, and the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of, here's what Paul is saying to the church of Philippi, because of your, our partnership in the gospel. He was partners with the church of Philippi that he planted and remained connected to. He had no control over it, but as a father, he spoke into the life of the local church. And so that's why this church is partners in the gospel with a team similar uh, to Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, uh, Silas uh, Barnabas and John Mark, uh, Timothy and Titus. There, there's all kinds of apostolic teams. There's uh, 25 or 30 different apostles mentioned in the New Testament, and that just means sent ones. It's, it's the Greek translation for sent ones. If you want the Latin translation for sent ones, it has modern day word is missionary. And in the first century, they were specifically building up the saints, uh, equipping the saints for the work of service and planting new churches. That was the pattern we saw. It's morphed a bit for people that, you know, and technically we're all sent ones. We're all supposed to leave those doors and go out onto the mission field, right? Amen. So, I am sure of this. This is for verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he's talking to the church at Philippi, but I'm going to say this to you today. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, Hope Rock Church, will bring it to completion, will mature it in you, will grow it in you. Amen. How long? Until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, he was in prison when he's writing this, the theme is joy and confidence rooted in Jesus, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer. If you don't know what to pray for somebody, pray these next verses over people that you love. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. I love that word excellent and excellence. I'm just letting it hover there over the leadership because we had a laugh about that this week. And so be pure. I'm a little cheeky sometimes. I'm sorry. Whenever I say something really weird and you go like this, I'm probably joking. Okay? So just remember that. And if you didn't get it, there's no laughs. I'll have to explain it. Sorry. So, uh, With all, um, I was on excellence. So be pure. 
Be pure. You know what purity is? 100%. 100%. God's calling us to be pure and blameless. What if I, what if I, well, I used to be a teacher many uh, years ago, and, you know, kids would get an A if it was, you know, 95 or above, 96 or above, or something like that. So you go, oh, yeah, I got an A. You know, I got 99%. That's not purity as far as what God's looking for. What if I told my wife, honey, this last year, I have been 99% faithful to you. <laughs> That's an A, right? That's really good, right? She would go, no, 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 like this. And we go to God like saying, God, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm mostly good. <laughs> like this. He's calling us to live righteously. Live for him. So, okay. Um, pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And, and just, just about that phrase, for, for to me to live is Christ, we're, uh, we're getting there. I'm not going to say much today about the dying part. I'm not going to say much about the dying part. Because I'll tell you the end of today. Dying's the easy part. Living for him is the hard part. So, looking around this room, I realize that I'll probably go see Jesus before most of y'all. All y'all. Yeah. And I told my wife, and I tell my kids and grandkids, I'm, I'm probably going first. There's probably a, a 19 out of 20 chance that I'm going first between me and my wife, just statistically. And so just be ready for that. And I'll be in Jesus' presence. Don't mourn for me. Celebrate with me. Amen. And while you're doing it, when you come to my memorial service, please wear shorts, because I almost always wear shorts, except <laughs> when I, you know, I preach in a church, not my home. So... Um, we don't have any guarantees. As a pastor, I've done a lot of funerals for people that we would say about, ah, they were too young, or they died too soon. Have you, have you heard that about younger people that pass away? I, I had a friend who was a pastor in the town where we were, and his sister was 45 years old, and she had passed away, and I had coffee with him a little bit later, and I, I said that. I said, 45 is too young. And he looked right at me, and he said, 95 is too young. We weren't supposed to die. Death is a, is a result of sin in this world. That wasn't God's intention for us. And he found a way to redeem us and purchase us back so that we can live with him forever. But this world that we live in is not it. It's just a way station for us as believers. So... Sorrow does last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. In his presence is fullness of joy. It's Jesus, 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 always about Jesus. So, uh, a couple quick things uh, about myself, uh, just to illustrate about this. God's called us to be a living sacrifice. We see that in Romans 12. Uh, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to pre- present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto Him, which is your reasonable worship or spiritual worship. So our lives, presented as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, is our worship to Him, our whole life. It's just not the sing- singing. That, we call that worship, but we understand that's not just worship. It's our whole life. It's our work. Martin Luther said a Christian shoemaker is not somebody who stamps a little symbol on their shoes, a Christian shoemaker is somebody who makes good shoes, representing the excellence and goodness of God. And so our whole life is a worship and an offering to Him. So anyway, uh, Terry and I got married uh, 49 years ago. She uh, shared a verse, Matthew 6.33. That was our life verse. We didn't know that you had to pick a life verse and, and in those days. And so if any of you have picked a life verse, you probably copied from us, the, you know, your life verse, but it's Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom. If you don't know what's first in your life, seek first the kingdom of God. Amen. When you have a kingdom, you have a king, and you're not it, and I'm not it, and we serve Almighty God, Amen. who is the king. So just quickly, in 1977, uh, our son was one year old. We picked up friends at the airport. We were on a shuttle bus going, taking them to the car rental place, 
and uh, a Cadillac hit us from this side, right behind me on the outside. I had my son in, in, in my hands like this. Uh, Cadillac hit us at 50 miles an hour, catapulted me across there, holding my son. That was the perfect place for him because he was right here. And I had my arm, I just happened to have my arms like this. And I went and hit both my arms on the, the bar across the thing. Got whiplash. That's the first time I got whiplash in my life. In 1990, a couple decades later, my, my friend and I were in East Berlin. The wall had come down. Soviet Union was collapsing. We went into 16 churches in East Germany who hadn't had people there for almost 30 years. And uh, went around it and, and there. And on the way back into Berlin, ready to go back through Checkpoint Charlie into the West... Uh, a, a big old truck. I have no idea what kind of truck it was. In. It was in East Germany. It looked really funny. But the whole front of the truck was flat. And it was rainy. And we were at a stoplight. Stopped. And the truck, I just saw it in the mirror. You know, you see it on the movies. You just see that glimpse of like this. It totaled our car. We went back. My friend and I, I could see him now going slow motion, the seat's breaking, the seat's both broke backwards. Then we hit the car in front of us, then we slow motion came back up. And that's the second time I got whiplash. Then um, in 2005, we were driving I-5 down from Oregon to California through the mountains, a windy freeway. And right in front of me, it was pouring, pouring rain. And, and all of a sudden, it looked like a logging truck was coming down the hill onto the freeway. And this logging truck was stuck in the middle of the freeway. What I didn't realize at, at the, that instant was sometimes when there's a little creek and sticks and branches and things get stuck in the, in, when, during the rain. And then it builds up to a big dam. And when a big rain comes that whole thing busts loose and all these logs and trees and boulders, thousand pound boulders come tumbling down the mountain right smack in the middle of the freeway, about a hundred yards in front of us, burying the first car. The second car skidded to a halt before it. And this whole thing with torrents of water, because there was a center divide over here, you know, those four foot center divides and, and the wall of the mountain here, it was all coming toward us. And a torrent of these just this big thing. And I told Terry, get out. And she goes, no. <laughs> I guess she didn't even see it. She was reading or something. I said, get out, get out. Get she heard something in my voice. So we got out, pouring rain, hopped over the cement divide, and this thing was coming. It was closing the distance really fast. And just this water. And we thought our car, our car was going to get taken out. It was contained inside there. And Terry said, God, in Jesus' name, stop the thing. And the thing came right up to our car, and about two feet in front of our right, right tire, it just slid off to the side. And so about a mile and a half down the road were trees and branches, and I don't know how much a boulder like this weighs, but boulders and rocks. And, and so pretty soon the water subsided, and all this debris was down there. And God saved us, you know, just a, a few feet further there. And then I had an accident in 2011 in Placerville. Going through a green light, a girl came off the freeway, hit me on the side. Then in Denver, we had a big accident in 2013 where I'm going left hand on a green arrow. There's four, four opposing lanes. The first one was stopped, second one was stopped, third one was stopped. The fourth lane closest to the curb uh, as we came around here in an SUV, she came and hit Terry's door, side uh, T-boned us. She was going 45 miles an hour. Terry had to be extricated from the car. Uh, she broke her pelvis in seven places, ribs, concussion. She, she needed shoulder surgery, all these things. Uh, she took the brunt of it. And as you go through life, you kind of wonder about these things. Uh, why does that happen? Why do we all of a sudden have surgeries uh, here? And so a couple of things that I could correlate with these is one is I'm a bad driver, you know. <laughs> That's, that's where we got in all these. That's where we got in all these accidents. Um, but I learned this: the more, this is one of my life things. The more you want to count for Jesus, the more it's going to cost you. And looking back, this is the advantage of being able to look back over decades. Each one of those accidents was at a pivotal moment in our ministry where God was taking us to the next level of fruitfulness. Every single one. 
And I'll tell you what, God doesn't cause those things, but, he, but the devil uses those things to derail us and get us off track and take our, our purposes off the purposes of God and get us to stop. And I'm telling you, bad things are going to happen to you, and the devil wants to use that to, to just cause you to check out instead of keep on serving him. So... Um, so, back to Philippians. We're down in verse 18 now. Paul says this, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. This is what he says. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I'll rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul's in prison. Um, and it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like I said, dying's the easy part. Living for Jesus is the hard part. So I'm going to switch back to the NLT instead of the ESV and back up so the same verses. Verse 20, For I fully expect and hope that I'll never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. Wow. So the Holy Spirit had told Paul when he got saved, um, that you're going to suffer. I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for my namesake. How do you like that for a calling? The Lord appears. This was uh, the guy in where he was headed in Damascus. He, he got a vision from the Lord, and, and uh, he came to tell Paul, you know, and he prayed for Paul's eyes to open up and all that. But he said, the Lord told me that, that I must go to you, I must not be afraid of you, but uh, God's going to call you and tell you how much you should suffer for him. And Jesus said to us, in the world, you're going to have trouble. But cheer up. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We've never been, if, if you came to Jesus because you thought all your problems were going to be solved, somebody sold you a false gospel. This is an encouraging message, right? <laughs> We're going to suffer for Jesus. But this is where the joy comes. The joy is not temporary or fleeting. Happiness is temporary and fleeting. It comes and goes. There's nothing wrong with being happy. It's great. But joy is not dependent on circumstances. Joy is deep and it's lasting no matter what's happening around you. So... Um, so we go to 2 Corinthians, and Paul tells a bit of his story, which is way worse than my story. We all have a story, by the way. We've all had ups and downs. And, and hopefully you can identify in your own areas of life, yeah, yeah, that derailed me. That threw me. That was something that was really big in my life. I've had that happen in seasons of my life where I wasn't faithful. But hopefully our story, if we look back on it, we say, God... You didn't cause those things, but the devil uses those things to derail us, get us off track. So here's what, here's what Paul says. He's, he's, talking, he's talking about the people that doubted his apostolic authority. So he goes, all right, you know, I was a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was trained under Gamaliel. I did all this. I never broke the law once in my whole life. I was blameless. And then, then he goes on to the stuff that he endured, and he says this. Five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Five times. They took a, a, a cat of nine tails with uh, nine strips of leather with bits of bone or glass or metal at the end. And if you saw the Passion of the Christ, Jesus was whipped 39 times. 39 because 40 was considered a death sentence. So that they could actually op expose your inner organs by that time, and it's a death sentence, so just one shy of dying. That's what they did to Jesus. Paul goes, five times, five times, they gave me 39 lashes. Mm -hmm. 
You know, if, if I was there and, and I got 39 lashes, I go, oh, all right, six or eight months later after you recover, I did what Jesus did. And Paul, you know, if I go to another town, they're going to do, I, no, one is enough for me. Paul got five times. Wow. I don't know if we ever thought of that. But he went back into towns that hated him. He knew there was a potential for it, and he did it anyway because it was God's call on his life, and that call also included suffering. Wow. Three times I was beaten with rods, big walking sticks, beaten. And they didn't just, you know, tap you. They beat you till you were down. And that usually broke bones. Once I was stoned. That's where they get so mad at you, they pick up stones and start chasing you down and throwing rocks at you until finally one hits you in the head and you fall down. And then they come with bigger rocks and keep hitting you till you're dead. And then they pile a pile over you and then walk away. They left him for dead. And then he gets up, keeps going on, goes back into more towns where they hit him. One, once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I faced dangers from my own people. Have you ever been rejected by your friends? From the Jews as well as the Gentiles. I've faced dangers in the cities and deserts and on the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food, and I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Now, my story is not anywhere near Paul's, and I would wager that none of your stories are anywhere near that. But Paul said, it's worth it for the sake of Christ, for the advancement of his kingdom. How is it worth it? Well, he told us two things. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I don't really know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go be with Christ, which would be better for me. But for your sakes. And I can, this is when I said I'm cheeky. I could hear Paul saying like this. You know, I like to do the work for Christ, but for your sakes, I have to stay here instead of going to heaven to be with Jesus. <laughs> It is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I'll remain alive. So, I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Wow. He goes, it's worth it. Even though I'm suffering, it's worth it to continue. My prayer is that we will have that same attitude in the stuff that God has called us to do. Yes, it's hard. Yes, we'll suffer. But it's worth it for Jesus' name. If I could just bring one more person to heaven with me, it's worth it. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he's doing through me. So here's the main point today. Here's the main point. Paul invites us to join him on this journey of living for Jesus. He says, do this with me. And so, so here's where we have joy and confidence rooted in Jesus as we live of, as citizens of heaven. And so, anybody, any of you know any South Africans? <laughs> so I know a few, and they're my friends. And, uh, but they, even though they speak English, some of the words aren't. I think Paul must have been, must have been South African because he says... He says the word must, you know. Americans don't really like the word must, you know. Like in, in such graciousness, they say, you must come and visit us. And in my American brain, I'm going, I must, must I, like this. <laughs> so Paul says this, he says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. And when we understand that we are citizens of heaven, not citizens of this world, we take off our American hat, which I love. I serve this nation uh, in, the, in the army, and, and, and I still get teary-eyed when a competent person is singing the Star-Spangled Banner. And um, that was a joke. So, okay. Stay with me. <laughs> 
But the, America is not the kingdom of God. America will not last for eternity. But His kingdom will last forever. And that's where we are citizens. So we take off our American hat, which we love this nation, and we put on our kingdom hat, and we say, Jesus, you are king, and I am not the king. But when I was born, you put me on the throne of my heart. And you said at some point you're going to realize that you want to willfully vacate the throne in your heart, step aside, and invite Jesus to be on the throne in your heart. And that's the good news, and that's the gospel. And that's why Jesus came here to die for us. And that's why the scriptures foretold that he would be born in Bethlehem and that he would live a sinless life and he would die for our sins and he would rise again on the third day. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We don't live for a who. We don't live for a what. We live for Jesus. Well, Jesus is a who, but you know what I mean. An earthly who. We don't live for an earthly who. That would be weird. So, Or a good Dr. Seuss book. So. He continues in verse 27, conducting yourselves in a worthy manner of the good news about Christ. And that's the gospel, which brings us back to the church. You know, in the New Testament, there's only two expressions of the church. The church is the church universal, all believers from all time. Everybody who submitted their knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, they're going to be in heaven forever. And that's and, and, and the Bible says there's going to be people from every nation, every kindred, every uh, tribe, every tongue. God has always been about diversity and differences and celebrations. Amen. It's always been about that. Just the richness of His creation. The only other expression of the local church, or sorry, the church in the, in the Bible is the local church. Local gatherings of people led by a team of elders, worshiping God. In Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' preaching, the breaking of bread and fellowship, and to prayer. That's the only other expression. And so, back to the church. Then he says, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I know that you will be standing together, unity, with one spirit, unity, with one purpose, unity, Fighting together unity for the faith, which is the good news. I'll tell you what, you have to fight for unity. It doesn't just happen. You have to work through relational differences, difficulties. So that you can, it happens in the home. You work through those things. You come out stronger on the other end. And, and it's a wonderful thing uh, uh, about what God has called us to do. Even in a tug of war, the winning side is tired. A classic tug of war. You battle, battle, battle. The winning side, yay, we won. But they're exhausted. How about if one side drops, everybody picks up the rope and pulls in one direction. You can go 100 miles and not be tired. That's unity. That's the strength in, in unity. That's why we need community. This is a local community of, of believers who love you, who, who know you, and, 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 and who you know them, and we're accountable to one another, and we, we're for each other. And that's why you need to be in a home group, honestly. This church is now too big for you to know everybody as best friends. It's too big. But you do need to have a gathering of people who you know their names, you know their kids' names, you go to the soccer games, and you, know, you just do life together, and then, and then you have a greater sense of community with who we are here. That's why we call it a body of Christ. That's why we call it the family of Christ. This is a big deal. Verse 28. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. They're, this will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed and that you're going to be saved even by God himself for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ but also the privilege of suffering for him. Hopefully this is a stirring message, a sobering message, but ultimately encouraging. We are in this struggle together. We're doing this thing together, serving Him. It's going to happen until the day of Jesus Christ. Um, I, in, in our home group that we have in our house, I was talking about uh, this idea, and he, uh, we have a friend, a great guy named Arnold, and he said, yeah, 
I'm you know, getting my life together. Uh, came back to Jesus and I'm, I'm wanting to play worship music on the way to work. And instead of listening, to, he called it the noise. That's a great descriptor. There's a lot of noise out there, a lot of things vying for our attention. He goes, I'm going to drive to work. It's a good 45-minute commute. I'm going to play worship music. He said the first day he turned the worship music on, the truck in front of him spit up a rock, and he got a chip in the window. <laughs> like this. The next day, turned on the worship music, another chip in the window. The third day, another chip in the window. And he goes, he's thinking, his mind says, I'm going to turn this worship music off. But he didn't. He pushed through. Despite his circumstances. We're in this struggle together. The devil will oppose you in little things and in big things. Another friend recently, his name is Jack. He suffered from aggressive cancer. He was this quintessential white-haired, leathery tan, soul patch, 65-year-old surfer, fit as a fiddle, got cancer in three months. He passed away. But right before he passed away, his wife sent us a picture in the middle of the night. It's a grainy, dark picture. Um, You can see him lying down on the couch. Worshiping Almighty God. We've had so many friends. That's the, the most difficult thing for me was conducting funerals. Friends in the church, family. But there's something about when, when family loses an adult child. And I know any, losing any child is a tragedy. We had a family who lost an adult child and she was pregnant. They lost the daughter and the grand, granddaughter. And yet at the memorial service, they're in the front row. Worshiping God. The stuff in this world is against you and wants to pull you away, steal your hope, destroy your vision and purpose, or literally take your life. We have so many friends in ministry that are leading churches. And I'll tell you what, they're not any more special than anybody else, but that's their job. We don't believe in a triangle where the pastor is the pinnacle, the king of the castle, castle, the big kahuna, you know, the head honcho, and the people are down here supporting everything. We don't believe in this one, too, where the poor pastor is at the bottom holding the whole church and all the people are telling them what to do up here. But we believe in a, a triangle going forward, just like Paul said, come follow me as I follow Christ. So this whole church is like an a, a arrowhead going forward, and, and the point of the arrowhead is, is, the, is the lead couple there. Tucked in right behind them are the, are the elders and the deacons right behind this big, solid uh, team. But then you have the shaft of the arrow. Then you have the feathers. And then I learned this, this is the fletchling. Anybody already know that? The little notch at the back. Here's the thing. If I took that arrowhead and threw it at you, it might nick you. It's not going to do any damage. But you take that arrowhead with the weight of the shaft and the, and, the, and the stabilization of the feathers and the notch, and that whole thing, listen, is moving at the same speed. All of us together are moving forward, wherever you are in, in the apparatus. But with that weight behind, then that arrow becomes lethal. Does that make sense? And that's, where, that's the journey we're on together. Amen. So, when you're at the point, we have friends that take hits, and yet they remain faithful. I know of business owners who put Jesus first in his kingdom, and they suffer financial consequences because of it, because they're ethical, and they do things correctly and rightly. And, and I know of students who love Jesus, and they're ostracized. They're not invited to the cool parties. They're made fun of. We don't live in a nation where they're killed, generally. But other nations right now around the world, young people are being killed for their faith in Jesus. Yeah. And, and I know of family members continuing to serve Jesus 
faithfully, yet praying for loved ones in their family that don't come to Jesus decade after decade after decade. And Christian families trusting Jesus for provision, even though their bank account is empty. It doesn't matter what life throws our way. I want to encourage you that it's worth it for Jesus. It's worth it to continue. It's worth it to be faithful. It so much is. So, what are you living for? Who are you living for? Leonard Ravenhill. It's, I've seen his gravestone in Tyler, Tyler, Texas. That's a reason to go to Tyler, by the way. Let's go see where Leonard Ravenhill uh, is buried. And it says this. Are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? Are we living for things other than Jesus? Or are we living for the kingdom? If we're living for Jesus, whatever life throws our way, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Paul says, once again, you've been given not only the privilege of trusting Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. And we are in this struggle together because Jesus is worth it. Amen? Amen? Amen. Want to say something? All right, let's pray. Can we stand together? Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. God, thank you. And I know that there's a lot of folks in here that have gone through tough circumstances. And I know that there's those going through tough circumstances right now. Father, I pray that you'd give them strength to remain faithful to keep serving Jesus, to keep loving that unlovable neighbor or coworker, to keep pursuing you, to grow in you, to become more like you. God, we can't do it in our own strength. We need you. Thank you, Lord. Help us to do this by the power and strength of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.